0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to the book of Psalm, Psalm 8, Song Book of Israel, and we want to look this morning at the passage. I want to encourage you as the eldest elder, I mean, I'm the oldest elder, and uh, come and be with us if you can on Wednesday nights. I want to challenge you. It has been a great time in studying the Word of God. It's a little different time than we normally have around here. It's a time when you can ask more questions Uh, John is boldly teaching the Song of Solomon. Now, listen, I'm almost 70, and I'm not even sure I'm old enough to teach that yet, but he is boldly doing it. I'm telling you, he is one arrogant rascal. But anyhow, uh, I appreciate it, and it's been good. You can ask questions like, did Adam have a navel? You know, I've been asked that question before, and stupid questions. And I encourage you to do so. I like to see him get put on the spot. It's really a joyous thing to see. So do come. It's good for you in the middle of the week if you can. And we know there are some folks that cannot do that. Uh, sometimes work hinders. But if you can come, you will be blessed, and I encourage you to do so um, this morning. In this passage we're going to be looking at today, the eighth Psalm, it's a glorious passage of Scripture. Not many verses. We want to look at it and read, the entire, read its entirety. And we'll be speaking of the majesty of our God. Verse one, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray again. Our Father, we thank you today for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to use mere men to do your work as we share the gospel, we share the truths of the scriptures that help us know you better, that we might worship you more. And we pray today that, Lord, you would help us. Help me today in my weakness, that, Lord, you might be honored. We pray, Lord, that you will give grace. But also, Lord, we pray that you will help everyone sitting here listening today. For this is the word of God, and this is the most important thing of all eternity. We pray that you will help us to hear the truth. And, Lord, may our lives be changed. May we be built up in our faith If there be any here that do not know you, Lord, we pray that you would open their heart to the truth of the gospel today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, when we read this passage, we have a verse here that kind of jumps out at us, and it's found in more than one place in David's writings. It's also in the book of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews. But it's the verse that, uh, verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? And that is a big question. And we're gonna talk about that a little more in light of the scriptures here in a minute, but I just wanna poke something at you to think about. I read this many years ago. Remember when I read this, it was 30 years ago. You'll hear some things in it that certainly point that out. But I I was reading and studying one of these passages and the answer was given about what is a man. Well, the mechanical engineer, some of you are engineers here, might say, He's a self-balancing 28-jointed adapter base, pipe with millions of warning signals, railroad and conveyor systems, crushers and cranes, a universally distributed telephone system, that's 30 years ago, and an electrochemical reduction plant and 62,000 miles of veins and capillaries. The whole extraordinary complex mechanism is guided with expert precision from a turret in which are located telescopic, and microscopic self-registering and recording rangefinders, spectroscope and tarot controlled with an air-conditioned intake and an exhaust and a main fuel tank. That's a pretty good answer for a mechanical engineer, what is a man, but I will tell you, a man's a lot more than that. Now, medical science, a doctor might tell you, uh, he's a human skeleton made up of 206 bones, Attached to those bones are over 600 muscles and nerves, the central nervous system. The brain weighs approximately three and a half pounds, at least for some of us, and 10 to 12 billion cells with more connections than all the phone systems in the world, carrying approximately seven signals per second. The heart, about the size of your fist, beats up about one, 101,000 times a day, pumping all the blood in your body through your heart every 60 seconds. That amounts to about 5,000 gallons of blood a day. Your blood makes up a trillion cells and takes oxygen to all the various parts of the body. No wonder we're so tired by the end of the day when you think about that. And then we notice in this passage, uh, David talks about the creation and the stars and all those things. And we have to think about uh, the place that we live here. When you think of the earth, you're riding the earth every day, it's spinning 1,000 miles an hour in rotation. Now, some of you guys that fly those fast jets, when you're running 1,000 miles an hour west, you're standing still. You ever thought about that? Think about that. But anyhow, at least in space. <laughs> but anyhow, also, while we're spinning around 1,000 miles an hour, we find through science that the whole earth is in a circular around the sun, at the speed of 66,000 miles per hour, which is 18.5 miles per second. And then we're also told by science, and I'm not sure how they knew all these things, but nevertheless, while that's going on, we're spinning around 1,000 miles an hour. We're going around in a circle around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour. The whole thing is moving through space, speaking of the Milky Way, at 43,000 miles per hour. Now, I want to tell you something. By the end of the day, you have gone somewhere, haven't you? It's amazing when we think about those things, and certainly those things are exciting, but that's not what this passage is talking about. As a matter of fact, this passage really isn't talking about man so much. It's talking about God and his splendor. Notice this is one of those passages. Look at verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Look at verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's pretty clear that this psalm is about the greatness and the splendor of God Almighty. And he is. I tell you, he is. And it's a wonderful thing. And by the way, it's not unusual that we find this in the beginning of a psalm and the end of a psalm. Even the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then the closing words in that prayer, if you will, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. That's the way it should be in our praying. We should open that way and close that way and realize that it is God who is great and not us. The names of the Lord in this passage. I love this. Uh, verse Verse one is a great verse. The, verse uh, the very first three or four words really stand out. O Lord, our Lord. Here we think about the names of the Lord. Also again in verse nine. The word Lord in capital letters, as you see in your Bible, uh, that is the name Yahweh. In the Old Testament, we think of God as we look at that passage of Scripture. It was not written out. It was always put in caps because the scribes and those in the Old Testament thought that might be taking God's name in vain by repeating it over and over and over in the writing. So they didn't. They did it out of uh, certainly respect for the Lord in his name. And that speaks of the Lord, the I Am. Remember, Jesus got into greatest trouble uh, in that day when he was dealing with the scribes and the Pharisees and all those when they wanted to know things about him. And he was telling them about Abraham and said, before Abraham was, I am. And he was ascribing to himself that name Yahweh, if you will, as we think of it. He's the I am. He's the self-existing God. You know, I, I remember years ago hearing someone speak about creation. And I remember hearing a pastor say this, and I've tried to be careful not to say it because I thought it was so foolish. Sometime in eternity past, God became lonesome and bored. And all of a sudden, he created the world and man. Folks, I want to tell you something. God doesn't need us for one second. I, I think we need to remember, he is the self existing. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the persons have enjoyed that fellowship and all that there is about that in eternity past. And we don't even understand all that. But notice the first one speaks of God as Yahweh, uh, the I am. And then the second word for Lord here is a different one. It's Adonai in the uh, Hebrew language. And it speaks of him many times being transferred as master or king. Yahweh is our king. That's a great statement. Can you say that today? I hope you in your heart that you can say because of what God's done in my heart in saving me and changing me, that my life is guided by my king and my Lord and my master God. I hope that you know that and believe that today. But I love also in this passage, it says, "O Lord, our Lord. Listen, he's my Lord. David was often doing this in Psalms. Psalm 23, that great shepherd psalm as we think of it. The Lord is my shepherd. That's a great thing to be able to say. And we see here in this passage as David writes, he speaks of the greatness of God and uh, what a wonderful thing it is to be able to say that he's our Lord. The majesty and the glory of God in all the earth to his people everywhere. Now, when it speaks of this in this passage of Scripture, it does not mean that every person is saved or every person is trusting in the Lord, but there are his people that are scattered all over the earth and all over the world, and we see that and we understand that. Here in this passage of Scripture, it says he is above the heavens. Notice now, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. I I look at this passage of Scripture, and I think of the fact that God's glory cannot even be contained in the heavens. It would go on and on. We have no idea of the greatness of our God. We see many things that help us uh, see and understand that, and certainly David mentions this uh, as he speaks of this. When we think of God and his glory, we think of the creation of the sun and the stars and the moon and all those great things. And, and David apparently thought much of that. Turn with me to Psalm 19, just a moment, just a few pages over to you right. I love this Psalm too. This is a great Psalm. And uh, in this passage of Scripture, uh, David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out his speech, and night unto night reveals his knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, uh, which comes, comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs the course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, uh, and it circuits to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from the heat." Here in this passage, David again is writing of the creation and he's seeing God. By the way, we have just looked in the book of... um, Uh, Romans, as we look at chapter 1, as John so eloquently preached. And there in that passage, it points out that the man who's not even heard the gospel from the scriptures, he's accountable to God because God speaks to him daily. Every day he speaks to him. As we uh, rise from the bed and we see the sun come up and we see all the things of creation, they speak of God's wonder and his greatness. And a man is responsible even on that basis. And certainly he still needs the gospel, but he needs to be seeking the Lord. And so here in this passage, David does it again. Can you see King David? He's king when he writes this. But as a young boy, he was somewhat a no boy, nobody in the family. You remember when Samuel, I'm reading Samuel, my private devotions now. And, and when Samuel uh, goes and gets the, the brothers of David and has them all marched out, and he knows none of them are going to be the king. God has not pointed out either one of them. And then he said, do you not have any more sons? He said, yeah, we have one out tending the sheep. And they bring him in, and he was the one very clearly. Old David, at night... He would settle the sheep down after they had fed all day and had everything taken care of. And I believe he would sit back at night and he'd look across the glow of the white fur or wool, if you will, of the sheep out there. And then his eyes would turn heavenward. And on one of those starlit nights, listen, there were no street lights around to uh, kind of dim it. There was nothing there to stop it. And he would sit and he would look at the stars and he would think of how great God is. Man, all I'll tell you is we think about these things and we look at the creation. We understand how clearly The God that created all this is of majesty. He is a great God. He certainly deserves our praise. Uh, As we think of uh, the things in which we look at sometimes, I'm not sure about science being right about a lot of these things, but James Johnson in his um, commentary says, our galaxy, speaking of the Milky Way, looks like a cloud, but this glow is actually the light of 200 to 400 billion stars turning like a giant pinwheel, some 100 light years across. And in the 20s, when Hubble come up with the telescope, they come to an estimation that this is one galaxy and there are approximately 170 billion galaxies. Can you imagine that? And by the way, think about this in this passage of Scripture. Here it speaks and it tells us in our psalm that we're looking at in verse 3, and when I look at your heavens and the work of your fingers... Listen, when God in the beginning created this and all these lights that are spoken of in the book of Genesis and the stars, and there are some even Christian leaders today that believe it's an expanding universe. I don't know if it is or not, but I can tell you what, it's real big, but God did it with his fingers. He didn't pull out the big cannons, you know, like Ray's got back there. I don't have them. And uh, do any hard work, just with the work of his fingers, he flung the stars in space and put them in their place in their proper orbit. And listen, he did it as we would look at it, even for us, for the night stars to speak to us. And as we look at this, what a great thing as we think about God's creation and his splendor as the creator. Here in this passage of Scripture, as you look at that, and I've done this before, I don't know if you've ever sat maybe at a night and looked out and thought about that, how great it is. You feel like an awful small spot when you think of how great this universe is and how big it is And then there's the creation of man in God's image. Look at verse four with me. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, speaking probably of the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and given him dominion over the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and then the beasts of the field and the birds, the fish, of the seas, and all these things. Here in this passage of Scripture, it speaks of God's creation of man and his descendants. The first thing that we find in this passage that stands out is that we're created in the image of God. Listen, now I appreciate all the animal kingdom, and I'm amazed when I look at many of the creatures today. I always wanted a sloth. I I, I want to at least see one and hold one. I just think I would love to do that. I really do. I think that's the coolest creature on the earth. But I want to tell you something. We are very different from all of them. I know scientists to say, say we're all animals. I don't really look at it that way. Now, there's a time in my life, and I'm ashamed to say I acted like one. But listen, we're very different. We're creating an image of God. Listen, we're thinking, feeling, acting beings. You say, well, so are some animals. Oh, no, not in the same way. We're very self-conscious about who we are, where we came from. It don't matter if you're a believer or not. You've got to think about those things. We're creative. It is amazing what God has allowed us to do, even in our fallen state. By the way, before Adam fell, have you ever thought about the fact in one day when God created all these creatures on the, fifth, the sixth day, and then he, he reached down to the dust of the earth when he was done, and he formed Adam, and then he brought him forth, and in one day, Adam named every one of the species of the creatures. Now, that amazes me. That blows my mind that this man in his first day without learning anything was able with his mind that was not tainted with sin at this time to name all the species in a day. And by the way, we've been able to do many things, wonderful things, and some things have been good. But unfortunately, when God is not glorified in the things we do, they begin to be perversions. And we have seen that in our life. We've seen the splitting of the atom. This is not the first time an atom's been split. I'm sure God split many of them before, doing creation whatever things he's done. But I want to tell you, uh, the problem is once we split an atom, we think of evil ways to use it. Sometimes, and we're fearful today because of that. That's why we have a great military. We're concerned about those things. We're concerned about all those things. Man has done so many things. I just think of people like Isaac, not not Isaac, George Washington Carver. You got me off track this morning, brother. Uh, George Washington Carver was a horticulturist. I hope I said that right, Kira. If I didn't say that right, ask Kira. She'll tell you how to say it. That's her. But anyhow, what a man. What a man, as you, as you think and go back. I've seen two documentaries over the last year about him, and I'm amazed at the things this man, he said he was too busy to have a wife. He just didn't have time and said she wouldn't put up with the flowers and the dirt all over the house, so he just wouldn't get married. And he spent his time studying and studying plants. And listen, he come up with the idea of crop, crop rotation. He's the one who got it going. Uh, back in the day when the Southerns were planting nothing but cotton year after year, and it was ruining the grounds, and, and he encouraged, especially he had an opportunity with the black farmers to help them to see that if they would rotate their crops, it would put back nutrients. They were taken out year after year, and, man, changed the whole farming system and all the use of peanut butter. I'm so glad for peanut butter. I don't know about you. I eat it every day of my life. That and apples are the two main things you need to eat every day of your life. But anyhow, uh, think about all the things this man was able to do. Henry Ford was a close friend of his, became a close friend because he saw how wise and smart this man was and how God had used him. Maybe Henry Ford didn't look at it like that, but we do, and and helped him see so many things. He thought about biofuel way back in the early days of the vehicle, and Henry Ford was greatly interested in this. But I'll tell you one of the things about George Washington Carver that I like more than anything I saw on it. It just thrilled me. At the end of his life he began to read all receive all these accolations and, and all these uh, you know great things. The president spoke to him and, and spoke well of him and they gave him citations and, and it was wonderful. But every time they had him up to speak, here's how it went. He would speak a few words of thanks to the people who had done this, but he always ended this conversation this way. but I want you to know. The things that I've been able to do, I've only been able to do them because God Almighty has given me the wisdom to be able to do it. Some of his cohorts in that day, his colleagues, I heard one speaking of that, and he said that did me so bad that he would not take credit for what was going on. Now I want to tell you, there's a man that understood who he was and who God was. And here in this passage of Scripture, that's what David's doing. David's speaking of the majesty of God, if you will, here in this passage of Scripture. He understood splendor. And listen, notice, it says that he created man in his own image and give him glory and splendor. And that's what he's talking about, the fact that he is in a way like God. He thinks, he feels, he acts. He thinks he's a creator in some ways, And certainly we see that in man, but we understand as we look down on earth today, it's far different than it was in the day of creation. Man has fallen into sin, and his creative powers are failing. That dominion he was to have over the earth and all the things, and we have learned much of that. We fly in the skies. We travel uh, in many ways that we never dreamed that we could travel. Uh, We go out in the seas, and we see the blue whale that God created. I don't know if you've ever looked at that. Just get you, go on the internet and look at it. This dude eats more food than we weigh in this room a day. It's amazing to me to look at some of the creatures that God has created. And certainly, uh, we think of that. And so, as we look at man here, we see him created in the image of God. Notice in the passage with you, it just seems to be stuck in and it don't seem to fit the passage. Look at verse 2. Now, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. I look at this passage and I think, what is that doing in there? And it's important. It speaks of God's greatness. Listen, God is so great that even though man has fallen, not only does he use man to do many things, he can use little kids. And he does quite often. He changes a lot of things with little kids. You first married and you sleep all them months and years until you have a baby, and all of a sudden, things change. They really do. But God uses them for his splendor. Turn In the book of Matthew, you don't have to turn there. I just want to turn there for just a moment. In chapter 21, here in this passage of Scripture, we find in verses 14 through 16, listen to this little conversation here, if you will. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. Jesus is quoting this passage we're looking at today. There at that time, Jesus brought down his opponents by reminding them that God will even use the weakest beings on earth, the little kids. And that's so true. Listen, that's true in so many ways. How many times as a parent have you done something and you know you've taught your kids not to do that? And all of a sudden, they just very sweetly come up and speak to you about that. Now, I want to tell you, that's troubling sometimes. And I've been embarrassed quite a few times by my kids because they were right. And I've tried to get them back all I can ever since they've grown up. But nevertheless, that does happen. That happens often. Uh, Larry Simpkins, who's a friend of mine in Tennessee, his daughter, we've been praying for April. When she was a little girl, I'll never forget... Uh, he told me one day, he said, man, he said, I've been having a rough time. I've been going through so many trials. He said, even my kids. He said, my daughter, April, I was going through something, trying to deal with it, and said, I acted terribly. And said, my little daughter, and she was very young at the time, looked at me and said, Daddy, I think you might have failed that test. You're going to have to take it again. How often does that happen? God can speak through little ones. And he even speaks to newborns. It's a wonderful thing, that new baby that's come in. That is such an exciting thing. A brand new human being. I say that all the time because it blows me away as I see a brand new kid. I remember when Dina was born. When Dina was born, brought home our first kid, scared to death. Everybody and his brother came on the first day, and I could have shot him. We were so nervous. We didn't know what to do with this kid, and they wanted to hold this kid, and we're passing this little kid around, and I'm thinking, man, this is hard. When poor Janice, she just nearly went all to pieces. But in those early days, when I'd come home from work, I would take her and hold her, my little baby, in my arms and um, give her a break, give Janice a break. And during those days, I remember sitting there on that couch. I was lost. I was not a Christian. And holding that baby, sitting and thinking, man, I sure don't want this little girl to do some of the mess I've been doing in my life. Don't want her to live like me. I didn't know the Lord. But I knew there were some things right and wrong. And I'm sitting there and it has dawned on me. It's as if God has spoken to me. And that was about a year before I got saved, God began to work in my life even during that time and reminded me, no matter what you tell one of these little people, they're going to do what you do probably. And I'll tell you, God spoke to me through this infant in my arms sitting there that day and reminded me of my responsibilities. As I look at this, he also uses us in our times of weakness. I love the Apostle Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians. I taught 1 Corinthians before years ago before I ever really understood what was being said in the end of chapter 1. There Paul says, you see your calling, brethren? By the way, the Corinthians were among the Greeks and they thought they were the greatest. They thought they were the smartest. They had all kinds of wisdom. And there in that passage, the Apostle Paul warned them and says, Listen, um, God confounds the wise, who in their what they think is wisdom are very wrong. And by the way, he goes on in the chapter, says if they'd been so wise, they would not have killed the Lord of glory and put him on the cross. And he shows the weakness of men. God's not called many mighty. He's not called many wise. He's not called many of the various things we think of as being so great simply because God's going to get the glory because he's the one that deserves the glory. And there in that passage in that last verse, he says that no man will glory in his presence. And I'm here to tell you something. Every man and woman and young person that stands before God, if you are saved, you will not speak of how good you were that you believe the gospel. You will thank God as you fall on your face before him and thank him for opening your eyes and helping you see Jesus Christ as who he was, the savior of this world. And I'll tell you, you give him the honor and the glory. He uses the weak things. Paul talked about this in his own ministry. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, there in that great passage of scripture, Uh There were others calling themselves apostles, and they were greater than Paul. And Paul admitted, yeah, in many ways they probably are. I'm small, and and I approach you, and my speech is not eloquent like a lot of others. And Paul even had some sickness, and we're not sure what it was, but it probably stood out. I have read some scholars that said it was probably an eye disease that made him look very perverted, possibly even when he was speaking. I'm not sure what it was. But Paul had confronted the Lord and said, Lord, I need you to heal me of this. And three times, and the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. And there, Paul said, in my weakness is when I am strong. And he's speaking of the fact that God uses those that are weak many times and uses them in such a great way. And it brings him glory. That's what this psalm is all about. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name and all the earth. God's answer to man's fallenness is an important one. Turn with me. I will ask you to turn to Hebrews with me, chapter 2. I love this passage of Scripture. I love all of the book of Hebrews. I love verses 5 through 9. I don't have time to read a lot, so I just want to read these verses. Here he is speaking of Christ. Seems like the theme of the book of Hebrews is Christ is better. By the way, we know he is. He is the answer, not the law. You can't keep the law. You failed the law. If you think you've been good enough to get to heaven, you're going to be very sadly disappointed. Here in verse 5, he says, For it was not to the angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Huh, here's this verse again. And of the son of man that you care for him, You made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection uh, to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything subjected to man, is what he's saying here. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. It's a great passage of scripture. Now he said, listen, in the creation, God created man and created him gloriously that he could rule and subdue all the world and use it as he so saw fit. But sin entered in. And though he has seemingly, to some degree, subdued some things, all things are not. Didn't turn out right because sin entered into the picture. And now man uses much of his abilities for things that are wrong. But it says, listen, God created another man. He's called the second Adam. In just a few weeks, John's going to take us to the book of Romans chapter five. And it's a great chapter. It speaks of the first Adam and the second Adam. The first Adam is the one we've read about this morning in the garden, that though he was created in the image of God and he was given dominion over all the world and the things therein, he failed in that. But then God reached down and created the second Adam, Jesus Christ born of a virgin, no sin in him in any way. And Jesus did what Adam failed. The Father spoke from heaven in the in the hearing of other people three different times recorded in the New Testament. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, I want to tell you something. God can't speak down and say that about James Sasser. Now, I don't know about you, but I suggest he probably can't say it about you. But Jesus kept the law perfectly, the very intent of the law, because he gave it, and he could keep it. Jesus walked on water. Jesus calmed the winds. Jesus sat on and rode into the city on an colt that had never been broken. Try it. It won't work. Listen, Jesus was able to subdue everything. And see, the one thing especially man realizes, he certainly has no dominion over, is death. In the day that you sin, he told them in the garden after he created them and put that tree in the midst of the garden. In the day that you disobey me and partake of that fruit, you will surely die. And they did. They died right then. He said, no, the story tells they lived on. Uh, Physically, yes, but spiritually they died that day. And there they had been freely open with God without any clothes around one another. And all of a sudden, God comes down in the cool of the day as he had, and he cannot find them. Well, he could find them. He knew exactly where they were. He wanted to help them see where they were. They were lost. He had to seek them out. He had to go find them because they were now ashamed of their nakedness. And then God asked them, have you done, not done what I told you not to do? And they did. And listen, but Jesus fulfilled all that, and Jesus did something for us that is so wonderful. Listen, he went to Calvary's cross. And at Calvary's cross, when he paid for that sin, and we talk about this a lot in this church, and I hope we just keep on talking about it a lot. There on Calvary, Jesus paid for every sin that every man and woman and young person that will put faith in him and trust him, he totally paid for every sin that you've ever committed or ever will commit. And listen, if you and I will put our faith in him and our trust in him and want him to be Lord and master of our life with that attitude, he will save you. And listen, you're going to lay this body down. You say, that troubles me. Wait till you get my age. I'm telling you something. I used to think I want to live on and on be 100 years old. I don't want to live that long anymore. Listen, if it continues to go downhill, and Ray says it is. He's much older now. But if it continues to go downhill like it is, um, you'll be glad to lay this body aside, and you'll be able to say what I say to people oftentimes when we talk about death. Listen, heaven is no threat to the believer. What a wonderful day that'll be when I lay down this body and never sin against him again. I'm here to tell you, Jesus, the second Adam, and paid for my failure and my sin and brought me back to God. And listen, now one day, I can pass over those waters freely, enjoy and spend eternity with my Savior, and all of you that know him and love him. Let me read the verse again as we look back in our passage. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, and it is. God bless you.